Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Richard, Happy New Year to you. And Happy New Year, Jim. And I think you're probably looking out over the fog over Long Island Sound. I'm looking out over the fog of the Hudson River. And I think we've got a topic today that's really relevant for the new year. The fog perhaps is a metaphor for how we have no idea how 2022 is going to turn out. But our first episode is about something good that might just come from what happened a year ago, the January 6th riot at the Capitol. We're going to discuss an invitation to all Americans to push back against the deep divides that we've seen over the last couple of years, and to be willing to have some difficult conversations. The National Day of Dialogue, Christy Vines. Deep down, we all want to have those kind of moments with you know, somebody that we would disagree with and who we often see as the enemy. Um, and I think that's why we're in the moment we're in is not enough people are getting those opportunities to see the human behind the positions they hold, especially the positions that others hold that are in opposition to their own. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How How do do we we fix it? it? How do we fix it? One of the questions we'll talk about today is, have we lost our ability to have hard conversations without judgment or fear? And if so, what should we do about that? The National Day of Dialogue is being held on January 5th. It's a series of virtual and live events, plus the premiere of a documentary movie about having hard conversations. And sometimes, you know, we have them on this podcast. That's right. The, the, the Day of Dialogue is part of a broader bridging movement that you and I are part of, Jim. And the need to push back against polarization with not just snarkiness, but a positive response. Christy Vines, president and CEO of the IDEOS Institute, joins us from Los Angeles. Welcome to How Do We Fix It? Thanks. I'm so happy to be here. What is the National Day of Dialogue and why is it needed? Um, in many ways, I wish it wasn't, but it's really a day, an invitation for Americans to come together and start having hard conversations, dialogue about uh, the issues that divide us right now. And so it is not just IDEOS that's behind it. It's a coalition of organizations from across the country who are all hosting events, 
panel conversations. There'll be films, the premieres that happen that day. But ultimately, it really is just a platform and a call to action for Americans to dive into the conversations and the topics that we tend to stay away from or we just throw grenades at each other over. As we mentioned in the introduction, the Day of Dialogue comes the day before the first anniversary of the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. Talk about the timing. Yeah, you know, we've had a lot of questions about that because, of course, there's divided views about what January 6th actually is. So while we are not necessarily trying to promote it as an opposing viewpoint or directly connect it to January 6th, it actually was inspired by a quote that I said to a group that I was facilitating after January 6th, which was, if we as a country were having the hard conversations, the ones that we grew up being told not to have at the dinner table or in polite company without judgment, animus, or fear, January 6th might just have been another day. That's really why January 5th was selected to say, hey, can we maybe do a reset and think about different ways of moving forward? So January 6th or an event like it doesn't have to happen again. You say that if we'd been having these difficult conversations more routinely, January 6th might not have happened. Have we gotten to a place where these conversations are happening less frequently than maybe 20 years ago or or other periods in our history? I think so. I think, you know, many things have happened in our country. We cannot forget or eliminate the impact that technology has had on silo building, where we can self-select into communities that physically we wouldn't normally be able to do. So 20 years ago, we were still getting on buses or getting on trains, going to our workplaces, going to shop with people very different from us. And so it kind of forced us to be in community and in proximity to people who weren't necessarily like us. But now we can actually self-select out of those kinds of environments and say, you know what, I actually choose this community and I can get there with a click of a button by picking up my phone and I can stay there where the ideas that affirm everything I believe in, where I'm connecting with people just like me, create these vacuous spaces where our ideas are shared with little or any disruption or new perspectives. Even mainstream media outlets themselves have changed. Um, There used to be a time, I think, when many more people thought that um, the national media gave a fair shake to different viewpoints and different movements. And we've seen a shift in that. I mean, I, I remember in, in 1980 when Ted Turner was was launching CNN, that was seen as a pretty even player. And, and now, not so much. So you're running into a lot of resistance here. <laughs> yes, sometimes it does feel like every day we are pushing a giant boulder up an increasingly steep hill, and that boulder just keeps getting bigger and heavier but you know more and more people are getting behind us and pushing that boulder up the hill so it can feel like you're constantly being challenged by other you know forces that are happening in our society and our our national culture i often put it on the supply demand effect media is supplying what the national public the american public are demanding and i think if we demanded something different we would see a shift in media as well we're politically divided. And so our allegiances to media are politically influenced. And so 
I think if we can change that, shift that trajectory, especially in younger generations that are just learning how to engage on these kinds of issues, I think, you know, our future might just be a little bit brighter than I think a lot of us are are feeling or thinking it might be right now. So tell us about this day of dialogue. Do people show up at venues and sit down, have conversations? How do they sign up? How does this whole thing roll out on the ground? We make it super simple. You just go to the website, nationaldayofdialogue.com. Couldn't be any more straightforward. You sign up, you get early access to screen the film that we've produced. And so we start the day with a screening of that film. And then our partners are contributing content throughout the day. So there's an agenda and a myriad of platforms and events and ways to engage that you can select in and out of. On top of that, both our organization and others are providing toolkits, scripts, and questions that you can facilitate with your friends, with your colleagues, with your family. And so there are many uh, hundreds of sites around the country that are hosting but screening that day of the film or engaging with their their colleagues, members of their faith communities, their family members, and, and just people from their neighborhoods. They're inviting them in and you know starting these dialogues. The film that you've made is called Dialogue Lab America. Here's a brief introduction. I have lost friends because of my beliefs. I lean like the furthest to the left. I believe in the ideals of conservatism. Conservative, I'm more on the right side. Even hearing like the word right-leaning sort of makes me cringe. I just don't want us to become a socialist type of economy. Oh, oh, very liberal. I consider myself a God-leaning individual. I am down the middle quite a lot. I do not enjoy confrontation. But I know it is very important in order to grow. I've been confrontational since I learned to talk. Those are edited extracts from the documentary released January 5th. Tell us about something that was moving to you uh, while making this film. Yeah, there were so many points uh, in that film that were moving and unexpected um, and that bring me hope um, for for a, a better tomorrow. So we invited 12 average Americans from across the political spectrum So people from different racial backgrounds, different genders, different generations, religious backgrounds, and then, of course, political ideologies to come together to test out Dialogue Lab. It's an experiment. Um, But to test out this idea that when we can suspend debate, when we can just lean into listening um, and trying to understand the perspective of somebody else that's grounded in the sharing of our uh, personal stories, that we build a foundation for that hard dialogue, for those hard conversations that so many are opting out of today. Um, And so we filmed it. Here's one example. Two participants talking about police reform. Last year, 20 cities cut the budget of the police. And as of a month ago, 12 of those 20 decided to put the money back in because crime was rising. So do you think that there's a correlation to that? Well, that's like common sense. How are you going to take something away but not replace it with something else? Interesting. It's not going to work. To me, that's like a publicity stunt. Look, look, we did what you said. We took money away. Now look, everything's chaotic. So then we're back to square one. Ah, got it. So that's one 
exchange in the film, let's hear about another involving two people that was about abortion. So Patricia, who leans very far left progressive, and Jonathan, a more conservative young Christian, uh, Gen Zer. And there was just this point in the film where Jonathan was sharing a very personal story about the kind of right to life perspective, especially as an evangelical Christian, um, where he was kind of confronted with the fact that several of his friends um, had been raped and had to make a really hard decision about what to do as they found themselves pregnant. And it was a really human emotion um, that went against what kind of traditionally we think about when it's, you know, we think about the pro-choice, pro-life movement, which is what happens when it's a personal um, decision and you are brought into that um, into that decision with somebody you love and how that really challenged him. And Patricia is listening to the story, who very strong pro-choice uh, advocate. And she asks for a moment um, and starts crying. And I think what it was, it wasn't necessarily the story, but it was recognizing that somebody who she would have seen as an enemy um, on this issue, uh, she saw him as human. I think for the first time, it humanized the issue for her in a way um, where she just said, can I hug you? It wasn't just a moment between the two of them. It was a moment with the crew, with anyone who was watching. That moment felt not just moved emotionally, but I think that was a moment of hope for the project itself. And it's possible beyond kind of just the elite ideas of those of us that are moving this whole movement forward. And that deep down, we all want to have those kind of moments with you know somebody that we would disagree with and who we often see as the enemy. Um, and I think that's why we're in the moment we're in, is not enough people are getting those opportunities to see the human behind the positions they hold, especially the positions that others hold that are in opposition to their own. In this episode, we're hearing from Christy Vines of the National Day of Dialogue and the IDEOS Institute. This is How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Now back to our interview. Christy... You talked about more people 
who are pushing the boulder up the hill, trying to counter our very deep divides. Here on How Do We Fix It, we have done previous episodes on polarization and on uh, the National Day of Conversation last year. Talk a little bit about this movement, this growing movement. Yeah, so you bring up the National Week of Conversation and America Talks, which kind of went hand in hand together last year. So that um, was really put out by and backed by Listen First Coalition, uh, which is a coalition that we're a member organization of. They are one of our coalition partners for the National Day of Dialogue. And they themselves are about 300 plus organizations from around the country who are all in different ways trying to bridge the divide and heal our nation so that we can again move forward. And that has been a huge force behind the National Day of Dialogue is that This is a multitude of organizations from the faith community all the way to the political world. National Day of Dialogue is really the kickoff to a calendar year of events. When we talk about dialogue, we often assume that the point is to get people together, to compromise, to reach some kind of consensus. But when you're introducing this kind of workshop in dialogue in the documentary, you say, we're not necessarily here to agree. Why not? The point isn't necessarily to agree, although that's always a great outcome if you can come to a point where there you find some common ground amidst the differences. It's this idea that no one of us alone has a, basically the, the fullness of knowledge on any given issue, that every single one of us has a piece of the puzzle and that only when we are in conversation, dialogue, helping to um, explore different perspectives, different ideas, that only then do we expand our own knowledge of an issue. And so dialogue is really a call to bring more ideas into our own consciousness, into our own awareness, so that we walk, each of us walks away with more than we entered into that dialogue with. Talk about the concept and importance of hard talk or difficult conversations, why they matter so much? I think we've just been so conditioned to, at least many of us have been conditioned to to stray away from those hard conversations, right? We've seen over these past several years where families have broken apart, we've seen relationships die. And it's really why we were even called to facilitate this original dialogue after in early 2021, mostly because people were saying, I'm losing relationships with people who I've known for decades, and I can't talk to them anymore. And so I'm either just opting out from having conversations altogether about anything beneath the surface, or I'm finding myself debating issues online or with my families, and it's uncomfortable, and I don't want to do it anymore. And I think that's this moment that we're in where people generally don't like hard conversations. And what about you? How do you come down personally on difficult conversations or hard talk? I'm a little bit different, I think. I'm I'm wired a little bit differently because I grew up in a family that was incredibly diverse. You know, my grandmother was an immigrant from Ireland. My grandfather was an immigrant from West Africa. So that alone created even a racial context that most don't engage in. There were differences of political backgrounds, even racial identity. So, but every Sunday we had to come together and the things that most people don't talk about, politics, religion, and anything else under the sun, 
that was what our family talked about. So I grew up watching my aunts and uncles and parents and grandparents literally, you know, throwing all of these ideas on the table and having these really hard conversations every Sunday. But what they had to do is they learned that they had to come back the next Sunday and have that same Sunday dinner with people who they were just seven days ago, you know, almost getting into food fights with. And that that's what was forming how I was seeing the world. And so I lean into those hard conversations because for me, they're opportunities to learn something I didn't know before. So leaning into hard conversations, that's a good thing, not something we should avoid. I think it's absolutely a good thing. And to be honest, I think it's what has made America, America, is that we've not steered away from those hard conversations in the past, those hard issues. And we've emerged stronger as a result. And we've solved problems that parts of the world are still wrestling with as a result. And, and I'm, I long to get back to that, that day where we can as a nation, have hard conversations without demonizing the people that we disagree with. You know, part of how do we fix it is is that we love to take contrarian positions, Richard and I. So I, I'm going to push back a little bit. Um, <laughs> isn't it also important to leave space for easy conversations? There are a lot of situations where people from different backgrounds, different beliefs come together to do things. Yeah, they might be members of the same volunteer fire department or on the softball team or people that one works with. Isn't a lot of that empathy built in less intense, less confrontational day-to-day -day interactions where you, you learn to respect people as people, you talk about your sports teams or whatever it is, it may not be that consequential, but you're building a bond there so that when the conversation does turn to something more divisive, it's not so easy to just categorize that person as a, a bad person. Yeah, I'm not sure you're taking a contrarian view because I, <laughs> I'm 100% in agreement with you. I think that nobody wants to spend every day, even me, <laughs> having hard conversations over and over again. There's a beauty in doing life with people who are different than you, who have different perspectives. And having those easy conversations and just those natural day-to-day -day, you know, conversations about family, uh, what's going on in your community, about what's happening in your house that you have to fix, um, that builds trust and it builds relationship and it builds the foundation for the hard conversation. Um, I always say that part of our political breakdown is so unfortunate because we have generations who don't remember when you know, politicians would debate things out on, you know, on the floor and then walk across the street and have drinks and dinner together or would vacation together. And so they were political enemies on the floor, but they were friends everywhere else. And so, yes, I hope that not only can our country just have those kinds of regular conversations that happen in our normal day-to-day -day lives, do activities together that aren't about political issues, big social issues, but man, what it would look like if our politicians got back to that um, so that we could actually solve problems um, again. When you mentioned your family, you gave us a hint as to why you're so passionate about this stuff. Talk further about that. Why did you come to the realization that we, we really needed to do something that would improve the way that we talk with each other? Hmm listen to each other? You know, it's, it's personal. And I think that was really formative for me. But I think for me, it was also realizing, you know, my background is in global conflict. And so I've worked 
um, especially with religious conflict. So I've worked on extremism. You know, I've seen what happens when talks break down and you realize that you're leaving and you get to go home to safety. But there are so many millions of other people who that conversation, that dialogue by breaking down could potentially impact their very lives the next day. That's a burden that you carry back with you. And so for those of us who have worked in the global conflict space, who have that perspective, there is a fear that if we don't fix this, that you know we're not immune to what's happened in, in other places and other you know, moments in history. But I think personally, I've seen up close and firsthand um, the personal impact of having to walk away from a table and realize this may not get fixed um, and war you know, or continued violence might be the result and people are going to die. Um, that's, I think, what really motivates me to do the work here. And we have to fix it. I mean, you know, being on a podcast, how do we fix it? Um, that, that has even more gravity, uh, I think, than at almost any point and certainly our, our American or history in our lifetimes, at least. Can you tell us a little bit about that work that you've done in conflict zones, maybe a particular uh, example? Sure. There's one that's very, very poignant to me because we've seen the breakdown as a result more recently, and that was in Myanmar. Um, and so a, a coalition, a group of us were invited to put on a, a conference there in, in Myanmar with a leading Buddhist monk. And so it brought together kind of the, you know, the Buddhist uh, representation, but also, we had an opportunity to sit with leaders from the Rakhine state, which were mostly, you know, Muslim citizens there, although they weren't viewed as citizens. And we sat in front of these individuals who, and these leaders who were showing us historical documents and pleading with us to come back to the U.S. and show that, you know, basically make the, their case to the State Department um, because they were basically being forced into what most of us would consider camps. Um, they had no access to work, income, medical care, food. And that was, you know, nearly, gosh, almost a decade ago. And then to see only last year, you know, the breakdown of that entire society uh, and the breakout, you know, of violence that um, happened as a result. And so that is constantly in the back of my mind as I think about conflict around the world, but even conflict here at home. Could that breakdown, could that broader conflict happen here? Oh, for sure. For sure. I think we kid ourselves if we think somehow we're immune to the, you know, the failings um, and of other countries of breakdowns that have resulted in full out civil war. I certainly believe that if we continue down our current trajectory, maybe not in our lifetimes, with this trajectory unarrested, there's no reason why violent conflict isn't the next big step that we take as a country. Boy, I sure hope you're wrong. But I'm glad <laughs> I do too. I do too. I'm glad you're in this fight. And Christy Vines, thanks very much for joining us on How Do We Fix It? Thanks for having me. Next, our recommendation. Richard, you told me you have a recommendation that's kind of relevant for today's topic. Yeah, it's Yo-Yo Ma, the, the great cellist, and his combination of words and music, kind of an audiobook, kind of a podcast called Beginner's Mind. And this is on Audible. It's free. Uh, even if you don't have an account, you can listen to it. It's only an hour and a half. Yo-Yo Ma is just 
delightfully warm, curious, and speaks of his music, his personal background as an immigrant to the United States, and invites us to have a beginner's mind, to strip away preconceptions and be open to new questions and unexpected answers. And he says it in such a warm way, and it's interspersed with with some of his music. That's great. Yeah, this concept of the beginner's mind, you know, it comes up in meditation and yoga and other fields. It sounds so easy, but it's actually not. Looking back on our interview with Christy Vines, the biggest barriers to having hard conversations or hard talk may be that we take ourselves way too seriously. I mean, some of the best conversations I've had with people I don't agree with is when there's some humor involved. And and you've said this, Jim, it helps also to be involved in doing something together, whether it's a work project or a game, perhaps, softball game, basketball game. When we're working on something bigger than just ourselves, that can be a great way to gain respect from people not like you. Yeah, I think we have to separate out what are our goals in a conversation. You might have a really intense conversation about some policy question that's very controversial and people kind of hunker down in in their corners. Those are really hard because you want to win those discussions. You want to win those arguments. And I love that kind of discussion. But I've learned that I can really only have those with certain kinds of people. I mean, it's something you and I do on this on this podcast all the time. But there's an and you usually win, <laughs> I don't know Jim. about that. But <laughs> but but there's another kind of effort to understand other people, to get along that I think is so important in our in our personal lives, in our civic lives. And that's just being able to see other people as people. And that doesn't necessarily require getting into the hardest subject. Sometimes it's okay to avoid a debate if your goal in this relationship is to be friends and to understand each other in a in a human way. There's a lot of ground that isn't necessarily political or controversial, and you need to spend time on that ground to build that relationship. I have what I think is a nice personal example of that, and that's my son and his partner help run a community garden in a neighborhood of Queens, this is in New York City, where most of the local residents were born somewhere else. They're immigrants. Uh, Many speak different languages. One of his best helpers is an imam from a local mosque. Now, I think that my son and the imam are likely to have very different views on a number of different matters, but they've become good friends through this work of growing vegetables and supplying fresh food to people who need it in their neighborhood. It's given them a common purpose. That's such a great example, working on something together that isn't about your differences, it's about something you've got in common. Christy in the interview mentioned the way that social media has given us all the opportunity to sort of silo or sort ourselves into groups. It's certainly a topic that we've covered well in this podcast. And what's nice about the real world is there are all these other topics you could be talking about. Is it too early to plant the tomatoes or do we need more compost or, you know, whatever it it might be that you're working on. And so I think getting away from the screens and getting back into the real world with real people is important. And honestly, 
the the pandemic has made that so hard. I, I think we talked about January 6th. You could also look at some of the riots and unrest in, in 2020. I think COVID has just driven people kind of stir crazy. And they're they're swinging to extremes because they've been so isolated. They haven't been doing their their things in their community or seeing even just family and friends the way they they used to. I just think everybody's gone a little a little nuts from this and maybe as we ease out of this finally, I'm predicting the end of Omicron is <laughs> not too far off. Maybe things will come back to the center a little bit and settle down a little bit. When we started the podcast with New Year's greetings, that's a, that's a nice hope for the new year. It's how do we fix it? I'm Richard Davis. And I'm Jim Meggs. And thanks for joining us. Our producer is Miranda Schaefer. And this show is a production of Davies Content. We make podcasts for companies and nonprofits. Find out more at DaviesContent.com. This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.